These are the criteria that we have found that must be present in entrepreneurs in order for them to win. So there's, there's eight different criteria. So the first one is you must be an expert on the problem that you're solving. The second thing is you need relationship capital. The next criteria is you need some level of business acumen. The next is emotional stability. The fifth thing is skin in the game. The sixth one is the clarity of your solution. The seventh is confidence. And the final criteria is that you can sell. So what we've learned is that sometimes one person doesn't have all eight criteria, but they have somebody else that's going to also work with them. And collectively they do. And those criteria for what we've seen really make the person right as we go on this journey. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. And today we have a super special episode that I think is going to really inspire tons, tons of people. We're going to be diving into something that we've never talked about mm -hmm. on the podcast. I mean, I don't know. You don't have an opportunity to really talk about this. Like, you know, these ideas that you have, like you get these brilliant ideas and you don't know what to do with them. I call them shower thoughts. Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh my gosh, I wish they're, I mean, you're mostly right in the tech space, right? right. Like an app or a program. And you're like, I, man, how come this doesn't exist in a world where literally everything exists? You have come up with this idea of something and it doesn't exist, but then you're like, but I don't know how to take it from my head right. to how do I get it into a computer or to how do I get execution. it? How do I get right. it to do what it does? Well, today we have the guy, the bridge between your idea and taking that idea to market. We're spending this episode with Jared Yellen, and he has an incredible story. So, one, the story is inspirational. I love his story. Two, what he's doing today is inspirational. We're gonna dig into all things that Jared, welcome to the None of Your Business podcast. Hey, what's up, you two? Uh, I'm honored to be here. I, like I was sharing just briefly before, I so stand for what you stand for and what you're doing for entrepreneurs, for small business owners. Just, just keep at it, and I know you will. But I'm an open book. Ask me anything. Well, we always begin with this, this question always to begin with. For any of our guests, how do we end up talking to you? You have an incredible story. We, you know, all of these little parts and twists and turns. How do you end up here where you are right now? So I, I've known about your work for years. So I'm a, I'm not a chiropractor, but I, I used to say I'm, I'm the ultimate chiropractic evangelist. Um, and I'm like the ideal patient for every chiropractor because I was living the chiropractic lifestyle, but I never knew that chiropractic was part of that lifestyle. And my first adjustment happened when I was 20 years old. And that should like bother every chiropractor on the planet because prior to yes. that, I was fanatical and it still am fanatical about health. I mean, I was like, in high school, when I got in trouble, my parents took away the gym from me. Like all that I knew was like that discipline was critical. And my diet was meticulous starting in middle school because I knew that it made me feel good and gave me energy. And I was doing personal development and I was meditating. And I, I was always an entrepreneur, so I always had resources and I would invest in anything that would give me the edge. And I never knew that chiropractic was part of that until I turned 20. And two things happened within one week. I don't even think you know this story. So one of the things that happened was my mother started dating a chiropractor who's now her husband. Um, and uh, he was a chiropractor for, for 30 years at that point. And, uh, and uh, he gave me my first adjustment. And I looked up at him and I'm like, where have you been? Like, I, I don't even get it. Like how someone like me 
who's like seeking this out doesn't doesn't find you. Like I don't I don't even understand it. And then literally one week later, I was introduced to Dr. Patrick Dentempo, um, and I did not know who he was at all. So I I asked my mother's new boyfriend, Hey, who's this like Patrick Dentempo guy? He's a DC after his name, and so do you. And he's like, Jared, if there's anyone for you to connect with right now, based on what you're doing, it's this guy. So I met Patrick, we hit it off. And I asked him the question too, how is it possible that someone like me doesn't know that someone like you exists? And he says, chiropractors have a really severe marketing issue. Mm -hmm. And that just stuck with me. And that became one of the chapters in my life of entrepreneurship. But I've learned about you just by watching what you're doing. You guys are best in class, like what you're doing for for chiropractic, I know it's beyond that. It is best in class, by far, bar none, and I stand for it deeply. But your story, oh, thank you. What, like yeah. your story. Yeah. How, so you you how find do... this out, and then what? Because obviously, the company that you started had to do with chiropractic. So do you like just feel charged to make a change in in the profession? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm I'm a, I'm a, I realized early on I was unemployable, so I, I didn't even. <laughs> I worked at Merrill Lynch for, for six months when I was 21. I sold a company when I was right when I graduated college. Um, I thought to myself, this is probably the time that I should see if I can do this corporate thing. So I was working at Merrill Lynch. And there was one day I, I was working with my mentor because I knew nothing about investing at this time. I had zero financial literacy and I was a financial advisor, but I was really good at selling. So I'd go out and bring people in for these meetings and they would start investing with my team. And my mentor one day said to me, Jared, you look really young. I'm like, well, I am 21. I'm like, yeah, I, I obviously look young. And he goes, you know, if you comb your hair this way, you, you'll look a little bit older. I'm like, dude, I quit. Like, if that's what it's going to take, like, I am, I am not your guy. So I just committed to entrepreneurship. I worked closely with Patrick for a while when he launched Creating Wellness years ago. I was involved pretty much from, from, from day zero to, to help get that in motion. And what I consistently saw were chiropractors struggling with marketing, like immensely struggling. Like they, they couldn't get their message and their mission out into their community. But what bothered me more than anything was that my stepfather couldn't either. Um, he was a 59-year-old chiropractor 10 years ago. And I thought to myself, I need to find a way to mobilize his message and his mission. Um, I'm what you call a non-tech tech founder. And 10 years ago, I launched a company called Synduit. And the mission for Synduit was I wanted to democratize the marketing agency. I wanted to make the marketing agency, which is typically five to $10,000 a month, under $50 a month. So that it was more accessible to my stepfather who couldn't justify spending $10,000 a month for his tiny little chiropractic office. But I couldn't really figure out how to do this. I'm a non-technical tech founder. Like, how am I going to build some tech product to, demo to, to, to democratize the agency? So I figured, let me build the exact opposite of what I desire. And let me launch a marketing agency because my skill set is I can write marketing copy and I can sell. So I launched an agency 10 years ago called Synduit. We had two clients initially who were pretty significant thought leaders in the, in the health space. Uh, we did a performance deal where I would earn 30% of anything that I produced for them. And uh, I dominated. I made them millions of dollars in six months through the direct response marketing copy that I wrote. And more than the money that I got paid, they just told everybody about me. And within 14 months, we had almost 400 clients like them, some really successful chiropractors, others, speakers, authors, trainers. It was extraordinarily diverse. It was a great business. We were extremely cash flow positive Had a big team had a big office. But for me, it was a means to an end. I just I just had to launch this tech product. And at the end of 2011, I had clarity of what I wanted to build. I wanted to build the simplest marketing software in the world and then pre-populate that software with content 
across every major industry, but I wanted to start with chiropractic. So I started interviewing software development firms um, throughout the US. I hired one in Boston, uh, Massachusetts at the, in the January of 2012. They told me it would take 10 months and $750,000 to build the first version of that software. I went all in. I completely funded it myself. I was writing a check for 50 to 100 grand every month, depending on the burn. And at the end of 10 months, it was it was that moment. It's called D-Day. It's demo day. And I told my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, this is our moment. Like I am stepping into tech foundership. Like everything about life is going to get that much more exciting. So I drove out to Boston from North New Jersey. I went into this beautiful conference room. I was so excited. This was my chance to see what we were building over the past 10 months that I spent $750,000 on. And when I get to the conference room, they tell me, Jared, we have some good news for you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like some, like, all right, well, just show me the some good news. So they they put it on, they put the demo on the screen and uh, they take me through the demo and it's two minutes and 12 seconds long. And I'm like, guys, it looks awesome, but where's everything else? Like, I think maybe you showed me 10% of the vision. So like, well, yeah, that's the some good news. Let us tell you about the bad news now. I'm like, what's the bad news? They said, the bad news is we just miscalculated what it was going to take um, to do this. And I'm like, well, what's the damage? Tell me what we got. Like, we're going to figure this out. They said, we need at least another year and a half and a million and a half dollars. And in that moment, I became a statistic, right? Because that's like a very traditional, typical story of the non-tech tech founder. And it's so interesting when I think about it. I should have been mad or sad. Like those are like the natural emotions. And for some reason, I was neither. I felt gratitude. I'm like, the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. This is happening for me, not to me. There's something in this. And I committed that moment that in my life, I'm going to make the technology industry safe. I had no idea what I meant by that statement, but all that I knew was anyone I shared that story with was like, that's not safe. That's not safe. I know other people that had similar stories. That's not safe. Maybe you guys even have. I know you've done some stuff in tech. Like it doesn't feel safe when you're told one thing and then something else happens. The second thing that transpired was I met somebody. We had 35 engineers on our team at that time. Um, And one of them was a gentleman named Monty. And before Monty was working with me um, through this firm in Boston, um, he was living in India. And when he was living in India, he started his own software development firm out of his parents' 150 square foot apartment. And three years later, um, he had 100 employees. So outside of being a very strong engineer, he's a really good manager and mentor to engineers. He sold that company at the end of 2011 to move to the US in 2012 with his wife to start a family here. And when he moved to the U.S., he was living on the end of my street where my original office was in Englewood, New Jersey. Now, he could have been anywhere but there. We never would have met because when he arrived, he had no money, he had no bike, and he had no car. So he had to walk to work. So his apartment building was here. My office was here. And in between was this little coffee shop that was like a one-minute walk for each of us. I've never been to the coffee shop before in my life at this point. And for some random reason on a Tuesday morning, I thought to myself, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. So I walk over, get a cup of coffee. In addition to that, I don't small talk. So you could put me on a stage in front of 40,000 people with no prep and say, you got the full day, do your thing. And I'm perfectly fine. The second I'm in an elevator with one person, I go for my phone and look down. Like, I don't know how to small talk. So I go to a coffee shop I've never been to before. And I never small talk. And for some reason that Tuesday morning, I decided to small talk. And the person standing behind me was Monty. And we just hit it off. And I was like, dude, like, what are you doing for work? Like, I know you just got here, but like, what's your plan? He goes, no, I don't have a plan yet. I'm just trying to figure out life. I'm like, well, you got a plan now. I'm going to hire you. So I called the firm up in Boston. And I'm like, you got to hire this guy because I couldn't do it because of his visa. And just put him in my office. 
So they did. And we built immense rapport. In the beginning of 2014, I realized this firm in Boston, they're just never going to pull this thing off. So I ended my relationship with them. And then I invited Monty to become my CTO. And he happily agreed. And we worked together to do Synduit right. We actually launched the first version of our tech in, uh, in 2014, just for chiropractors. That was what I was committed to doing, was helping this beautiful profession. And it worked. We had hundreds of chiropractors signing up for the software. And they absolutely loved it. It was like everything they hoped for inside of a tech product we had from a marketing perspective, all the content they dreamed of, all the features they needed built inside of this one platform. But when we started to, to grow, I realized that the limitation of what was built would, would, would only allow us to work in one industry. And I didn't want to do the chiropractors. I wanted to work in many different industries. So we ended up scrapping the platform and completely starting over two years and $2 million in. It made more sense to, to literally start from nothing versus building on, on top of. But the reason I felt confident doing that is we built our own dev team in-house. We had our own mm -hmm. team in Canada and then in India as well. Um, and when you're in tech, if you can figure out India, you're in great shape. It's just very hard to figure it out unless you have Mani who hires his friends and his family. <laughs> So it, it was it was amazing. Like it, they were loyal, they were committed. Like it, it was like the perfect situation. The only challenge I was experiencing is that they were contractors, and it's really hard to retain contractors anywhere. But it's almost impossible in India because their income isn't recognized by banks. So as a result, they can't get loans for houses or cars. So eventually, they they would just they just quit. And I didn't want them to quit because this was like my India family, and I needed them. Like we were building this this new version of this original product. So in 2017, I set up a company in India just to employ them, just so that they had like the job security, they get country benefits, like I wouldn't leave, they wouldn't leave me. And then I got it set up and I thought to myself, we, we need to use this as a recruiting tool. Like that was a really expensive like next step to just have 12 people employed by this company. So let's, let's start recruiting more. And within 45 days, um, we doubled the team. We had 25 engineers and that was my catalyst. For Sindua. We continued to scale on chiropractic, but we scaled into other industries as well. And today we have over 40,000 active paying users on the platform across 30 industries. So it's been this really incredible journey as the non-tech tech founder who literally started with this. Like this was like a napkin concept. I just I just persevered and I just did not let go. And that's why I'm on a mission now to help other people do that as well. So I'll pause there. Now we can share the other half of the story, unless you have any more questions. Go ahead. No, I, and I don't want to get off track. I just ha so I have a comment because as soon as you said you wanted to create a a place where you could make tech safe, like my heart was like screaming yes because you're right. We've gone down that road and we've been looking at creating a software for chiropractors, and it's really amazing that you can get such a a uh, vast difference in the quotes and the capabilities. You get people telling you, yes, I can execute on your vision. I know exactly how to do this. And then it doesn't happen. And so you're right. If you're a non-techie tech person trying to create tech, man, you're in a very vulnerable place. So I, I love that you were charged with that. And you're right. You know, that moment for you was such a huge opportunity. So that, that I just really connected with that part of your story. I also love that you... I mean, some people could say we're ripped off, but you didn't right. feel ripped off. You felt gratitude. Yep. And then you look to find a solution. That is awesome. But you didn't stop there. Most people could have just built the product. I mean, I mean, what a long runway to finally create the product that you had in your mind. $2 million in. But at this yeah. point, you have the product, version two, probably not, but version two here. And we, <laughs> and we have... And, and we have a team built and all is well. 
and you decide not to stop there. You decide to continue on. Why do you make the next steps and what were those steps? So in, um, in April of 2020, um, I woke up one day and I realized I'm officially obsolete at Synduit, which for everyone that's listening or watching, that, that has to be your dream as a business mm-hmm. owner. Like just find a way to become obsolete. Um, and that's where I was. I, I was getting in the way more than I was helping at this point. I have a great team. They know what they're doing. We have incredible processes. And it was a really unique part of my life. So I was only 35 years old. Um, I have two young kids, happily married. We have a really great life because of Synduit. And I was thinking to myself, like, what's next? I have so much energy. I have so many ideas. Like, And I thought back to that moment that you mentioned, Lacey, where I was like, I am committing to making the technology industry safe. So that's all that I could see was that statement. And I'm like, this next chapter for me is my moonshot. I'm going to do something that just shakes up the world or I'm going to go down trying. As I started to like unpack that and dissect that, I realized what I needed to do is what I just did with Synduit, but 10,000 more times by 2031. And I don't know why it was 10,000 because it's a ridiculous number. Like it's an absurd, unreasonable number, but you can't negotiate against the moonshot. Like you just got to accept the moonshot. So I called up Mani, who was still my CTO at Synduit, and uh, this woman, Katie, who uh, was my director of operations at Synduit. And I said, I have an idea. I'm going to do it with or without both of you, but I feel like really weird not doing it with you. Let's build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. Are you in? And their exact words were, we're in because it's you, but we have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So I said, okay, let me explain. We're going to launch a tech incubator, but this is not going to be like every other incubator or accelerator where we invest very little money into the company and then provide mentorship for three to six months inside of a classroom. That's great. That's just not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is have entrepreneurs from around the world pitch us their tech ideas that are on a napkin, so like like a concept phase, or even a minimum viable product, like a prototype, or even a cash-flowing tech company that they've plateaued and they really want to accelerate. And when they pitch us, there's four major criteria we're going to look for. The right person or people with the right idea in the right market and the right business model. And if all four of those things are present, we're going to co-found a company with that person so that our values are completely aligned. We both have equity, so our values are completely aligned. And then we're going to build the entire company at cost. Software development, go-to-market, sales, customer support, business development, operations, fundraising, bookkeeping, like everything it takes to build scale and sell the company will be at cost. And about 99% of the initial cost for the minimum viable product is at cost in India in a company that I've owned since 2017. So the risk is low and the cost is low. So in June of 2020, we opened up our portfolio. And since then, we've had over 14,000 people submit their tech ideas, literally from around the world. Like we had a woman pitch us the other day who lives in a mud hut in Africa, a really great tech idea. Like, I mean, literally from around the world. Of those 14,000 people, about 600 of them passed the first test to actually pitch us which is kind of like a shark tank type of pitch. And then of that, we said yes to to almost 130. So we have 130 companies we've co-founded in our first year, which is more remarkable than 10,000 in 10 years, because this was the year to figure it out. Like, how do we scale India? And what are the countries we have to scale into? 
How do we scale the go-to-market team and the business development team? How do we do bookkeeping at scale? Like doing something once is hard enough, but doing it at scale, like you have to like expand your mind. It's like, what are the processes that you can replicate and automate? Here's what I want to make sure it lands for everybody. We are not playing law of averages. It's not like if we launch enough companies, we're going to get a few winners. Everything we say yes to, we see a path to build, scale, and sell. Some bigger than others, but we see that path. And my certainty comes from two things. One, our criteria is really tight. And the second thing is we're extremely vertically integrated. So we launched our own angel investor network, which is pretty much just my friends in a network that wanted to see what I was doing so they could invest in deals. We also built a network of networks, which has been amazing. So we have literally networks in in almost every state at this point that looks at our deal flow because the number one challenge angel investor networks have is they just don't have deal flow. We have an abundance of deal flow, so we can now put our deals in front of networks. We're doing some really cool stuff right now with the blockchain um, using uh, crowdfunding in the blockchain and bringing it together to sell perpetual use licenses to tech products. And then we built a curriculum that we've embedded in middle schools, high schools, and colleges that teaches young people how to become tech founders. And at the end of the curriculum, they could pitch us, and and it works. We We have four young people that have completed the whole thing that are now founders. One is 11 years old, two 70 year olds and a 19 year old. Um, but here's what I've learned. It's a really great lesson for your audience. I learned how to make influencers dream about me. I didn't mean to do it. I kind of like reverse engineered the process and now I figured out what I did, but there's three steps. So the first step is you must declare your moonshot. So for me, it's build, scale, sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years, but it can't be like a war cry. Like, this is what you stand to do in life. Like, you're burning the boats. It's life or death. This is what's happening. And it must be, like, undeniably certain that you're going to pull this thing off. The second thing you need to do is what I call take maniac action. So what maniac action looks like is you're taking so much action so quickly that anyone watching you thinks that you're crazy and you're also onto something at the same time. Don't second guess. Don't be romantic. Don't worry about the details. Just commit and figure out everything later. And the third thing you need to do is talk about what you're doing incessantly as if it's already happened. And if you do those three things, you get what I call a ton of attention. So we just have so much attention from athletes, celebrities, billionaires, entrepreneurs, big tech companies. Like it's just, it's, it's radical. Like the amount of people that care about this outcome is so invigorating. And as a result, we have major thought leaders that have partnered with us to then launch their own version of their tech incubator, just leveraging our infrastructure. So they can go out into their ecosystem and say, hey, you got a tech idea, submit it here. They're not going and building the software development team and the product management team and the go-to-market team. It's like the top of the funnel to like filter really great people into our ecosystem for us to then go and support together. That's all right. A white label, a white label incubator. You can't beat that. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> is, that is awesome. Um, Tell us, what is the company called? How do people find out? Let's talk about like somebody that's listening, watching right now. They have a great idea. They're like, yes. How do they get plugged in with you? Yeah, listen, I want to invite you like right now, right this minute. Because I know you have an idea. It's probably on a napkin like this, or maybe it's a, cr- a crumbled up napkin like this. But head over right now to Project 10K, project10k.com. Listen, this is a project to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. And I just have this feeling there's someone listening or watching this right now that has an idea and they've been, I this like burning desire to do something with it, go places. They have this big vision for their life. They just don't want to know what their next step is. And the next step for you, and I invite you to do this right now, head over to project10k.com, project10k.com. 
fill out the application, allow our team to review it, and we'll be in touch with the next steps. You said, what was the number? 10,000 people that had applied? 14,000. 14,000 people that had applied. Um, And that's, that's a, sounds like a big number, but that's probably actually low compared to the number of people that have an idea, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Like, so walk us through, speak to somebody who has the idea. What do they need to do? Because this is what human nature, right? It's not perfect. I mean, I, I can't, I can't even articulate it very well. He said, MVP, I don't even have, I have no viable product. Like I, I, this is in my head. So walk us through that. And how do we encourage people with an idea to know when to reach out to you, when it's time to actually become one of the 14,000? You reach out the second the idea comes to you. So I have this, this thesis that I've been preaching before I've been doing this, which is never let someone other than you execute on your dream. I'm sure there's people that, that you know, like both of you, they're like, I had the idea for Uber before Uber. Like I had the idea for Clubhouse before Clubhouse. The difference is they executed and you didn't, you just thought about it. So the, the right time was yesterday and the next right time is right this minute. You just gotta submit the idea because we have people that submit ideas that are like the ingredients of a napkin. It's like not even a napkin yet. But if we see potential in the written submission, we invite you to come on our show. So we have a, a daily show. It's it's way cooler than Shark Tank. And I'll explain why in a moment. It's called What's on Your Napkin? Because every single great company that exists today, it literally started on a napkin. I'm speaking with Richard Branson um, in September at an event, the two of us. And Virgin started on a napkin. Like, like it started on a piece of paper. And now it's this iconic brand that will live on way past Richard lives on. So everything started on a napkin. So we have this show and uh, it, it airs at eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday, um, every single night. We went all in on this and uh, that's called Maniac Action. That's a good example. Most people don't do daily shows and we're like, that's why we're doing a daily show because most don't. Um, but it's cool than Shark Tank because Shark Tank's amazing. I stand for it. I love the American dream. But for the most part, the ideas that are pitched on Shark Tank, the companies, they're not changing the world. Like, like Scrub Daddy will make your pots clean, but everybody's life was awesome before Scrub Daddy. Like it doesn't really make that much of a difference in the world. Like the guy made a hundred million dollars. I love that, but but it didn't really change the world. The stuff that we get pitched is like world changing ideas, like for countries and industry and just for, for humanity even. So just submit the idea. It's a written application. It's absolutely free. Our team reviews it. If we see potential, we then invite you to pitch us on the show. It's a five minute pitch. We give you a template deck that you can fill out in advance, which helps you start formalizing this like napkin into an, an actual product or a service. You then present it in those five minutes. And what we're looking for in that five minutes is the deepest level of certainty that you're the right person to do this. And then intrigue us with the problem that you're looking to solve and your solution. You only got five minutes. That's all that you can do is, is make sure that we know you're the right person and intrigue us with the, with, with the problem that you that you found and, and your solution to that problem. If we see potential in that five minutes, we're going to invite you to do due diligence with us. And due diligence is a 60 to 90 minute presentation. Usually three or four people are on live. There's seven or eight that will watch after the fact. We've actually built a due diligence committee, which are really successful entrepreneurs. I'll to invite you guys to do this if you want to, where you can just like look at deals that, that are pre-vetted at this point. Like we're getting close to saying yes. And in due diligence, it's 60 to 90 minutes where we're digging really deep into you as a person into your idea, into the market that you're looking to enter, and then into your business model as well. We don't we don't want to create any false hopes. We want to know that you're right, the idea is right, the market's right, and the business model's right. At that point, if we're like, yes, let's do this, we move into co-foundership, and then we start to partner and bring this company to life. 
Well, okay. So I know we said that that's only been 130 individuals. So let's take it back a couple of steps to go from 14,000 to the 600 that get a shot at the five minutes. What do you think the difference is between those 600 and the other in the 14,000 that didn't make it? Like what were they missing? So I would probably say half of the 14,000 got the five minutes. Um, and then oh. of that, 600 got the, the hour, like where we got it. deep with them. But but really, I'm going to read to you something because we, we came up with this recently that I think is like, whether you want to launch a tech company or, or do anything, these are the criteria that we have found that must be present in entrepreneurs in order for them to win. So there's, there's eight different criteria. So the got first it. one is you must be an expert on the problem that you're solving. And you must be like like a sought after expert where like people are like, I want to put that person on a stage. They know so much about the solution to the problem. Like they just, they know a lot. So if you're not there yet, you can get there. You just got to just start doing what other people don't think to do. Like start researching it, start getting involved with forums, clubhouse rooms, like find a mentor. Like you must be the, an absolute expert on the problem that you're solving. The second thing is you need relationship capital. So you need to be able to like pick up a phone and call somebody and they're either going to invest in you, support you, use what you're offering, but you need some level of relationship capital. Like we have immense amounts of relationship capital. So we want to make sure that our co-founders also have relationship capital as well. It's absolutely critical. Like people need to believe in you and what you're bringing into the world. Um, mm -hmm. The next criteria is you need some level of business acumen. So one of the things that we've learned now that we have 130 companies is some of the originals they had no business acumen whatsoever. So we were like teaching them business as we were building their business. And it was just like, there was just, it was too much friction. So we look for acumen and, and you can get that if you don't have it by, by literally paying a mentor, hiring a coach, like start doing more personal development in the professional development space. Like you need some level of business acumen to lay a strong foundation for your success. The next is emotional stability. So being an entrepreneur is a roller coaster. Being a tech founder is like going to the scariest roller coaster in the amusement park and taking your seatbelt off and then going down. And with us, it's still a roller coaster. There's not as severe of dips because like we we know the stuff that you don't know. So we're able to help navigate you through any of those, those like potholes that exist um, and those danger places. So, but we still need to be emotionally stable. It's still going to be a ride and we want to make sure that you're stable and you can handle it. Uh, the fifth thing is skin in the game. So this is not so much of a thing for us, but when we go out, we start fundraising with our co-founders. The investors look at the incubator and they're like, wow, you bear a ton of risk. But if somebody's coming with this, like just a concept, they're like, what risk are they bearing? So maybe you don't have money to invest, but there's something you need to put on the table to just prove you have skin in the game. Maybe you're going to work 10 less hours and that's your version of skin in the game. Investors want to know that you have something to lose other than just their money. They want to know that like you've burned the boats, you're all in, you're going to find a way to pull this off. So skin in the game is absolutely critical. The sixth one is the clarity of your solution. So you don't need to be technical to be clear on the solution, but moving targets might get hit. And investors don't want to invest in things that might get hit. They want to invest in things that will get hit. So the, a good example of this is we have this one founder who thinks like innovation is overly sexy. And to some degree, I guess it is. We always say innovate within boundaries. Like innovate within boundaries, pick a thesis and let's stick with that thesis. And let's let the market tell us whether that thesis is right. Don't have like a dream and then wake up the next day and change your entire minimum viable product. Like stick with something. So clarity of the solution is key. The seventh is confidence. 
So we are always putting our co-founders in situations where they're reaching up. They're sitting down with an investor or someone of influence or a big tech company. And we want to make sure that even if you're with people that you deem as more successful than you, that your certainty is able to bridge that gap so that you can look eyeball to eyeball with that person, have a meaningful conversation. And the final criteria is that you can sell. So what we've learned is that sometimes one person doesn't have all eight criteria, but they have somebody else that's going to also work with them. And collectively they do. And those criteria from what we've seen really make the person right as we go on this journey. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that people are right so that we can deliver on what we say we're going to deliver on, which is every company that enters this ecosystem will be on a journey to build, scale, and sell. Well, the man just told you the formula. So before, <laughs> <laughs> before you attempt this, make sure that you have checked off the boxes. And just like, just like Jared was saying, some of those just require a little bit more time. Right. Not a lot of time, not, not five years. Just you might have to just sort of get your game together. One last thing for you here um, before we let you go, Jared, is um, you mentioned some people come to you. They have an idea. They don't even have capital when you talked about skin in the game. Um, explain to us how it works then. Like how... Like you, you said that you, do you own the company? Do, do you go, do, do you take equity? Do you give them a loan? How, how, how does the business side work um, when all is said and done? So we co-found. So we are a partner in the venture with the person that comes to us with the idea. And it's all up to our responsibility to get whatever resources are needed in order to ensure the success of the company. So we then go out and we start fundraising. We have our own angel investor network. We have a network of networks. We've never had an issue getting funding. So as long as we say yes to something and then it goes through the process, once we say yes, we can identify what's the minimum viable product. What are we building? What's our go-to-market strategy? What's the business development strategy? How much money we need for operations? Because we like we get really precise in, in what our need is. And maybe we need to raise $100,000 or $150,000. It's, it's pretty small numbers for building a tech company because we're controlling all the costs. We then go out collectively and we raise the capital. So step one in the fundraising process is what we call a friends and family experience. And this is an opportunity for our idea co-founder to invite the people they care about to go on the journey. We do a fun exercise with them where they plan their exit party on day zero. Because when their company sells for a billion dollars, they're going to throw the biggest damn party of their life. Like it's going to have incredible food and entertainment. It's going to be a celebration of success. And they get really specific into what's going to happen at the party. The next step is who are you going to invite to the party? Like who's going to be there? Every friend, every family, every acquaintance, every colleague, like you're going to invite everybody to experience this because you want them to just see what you did. You're going to want to positively show off and flex like what you just pulled up. And if you're going to invite somebody to the party, you must invite them to go on the journey to the party because Joe Montana is one of the greatest football players of all time. And when he played football, he was in an era where there weren't big contracts yet. But Joe Montana's made exponentially more money off the field than on the field. He invested $100,000 in a pre-seed, which means pre-revenue round, for a company called GitLab six years ago. And GitLab just sold for $15 billion. Joe's $100,000 turned into $43 million. He was going to be invited to the exit party anyway. He knew people involved in the company. But they invited him to go on the journey to the exit party, and that party was way more fun for Joe. So step one is a friends and family experience. We have an entire model to run this. I do every friends and family experience with each co-founder so that I can edify the co-founder in front of their friends and family because their friends and family might not see them as a tech founder. So I want them to see what we see and why we said yes, why they want of 14,000 people. Like what about them as the right person? 
and their idea and the market and the business model, and then turn it over to the co-founder to share their vision. And we have a whole pitch deck that we've assembled for them. I then step in and do the financial pro forma. So I explain how we arrived at the valuation. And then we go in for the ask and we do all investor relations to ensure we get, get the company funded. Usually the friends and family round will fund anywhere from 25% to 100% of the deal. After we're done with the friends and family experience, we then go into the angel network and the network of networks, and that funds the rest of it. And then we're off to the races. That's phenomenal. It's wow. a streamline. I know this sounds like a lot for everybody. Like you just have no. to work. No. If you know anybody that's ever tried this, that's very streamlined and very efficient because a lot of people just sort of flounder around in the friends and family round. Uh, friends and family experiences, you're calling it. And they just, be, you know, maybe they're not getting traction because their friends and family aren't really investors and they don't have a pitch deck and they don't have a real good vision or way of explaining it, selling and closing the idea. And they really, they don't have the connections to get into angels or, and so the idea just dies there on the vine. That's what I was going to say. This That's doesn't very, sound like a lot. It sounds like a solution, right? Because it most is, people yeah. don't know how to put any of that together. But so. it's partnership. That's why I think about it. Right. Like, I mean, you guys work with, with so many entrepreneurs and the whole premise of partnership is you find people that can live in their flame and like operate in their flame what they're uniquely qualified to do right. and if you do that right you create a bonfire and then you become unstoppable well that's what we do like we find somebody that has a flame which is knowledge around a problem and a solution and a skill attached to it and then we become everything that they're not because usually they can't write code and even if they can they can't be the only engineer on the team right. they can't be product managers they they can't design images for social media and write the marketing content and design the landing pages and do the paid ads and do the video editing. Like, but they're really good at what they're good at. So we just built infrastructure around that. And that's why this works is like these companies have such strong infrastructure. So, so tell us, how do we get in touch with you one more time? What's the website? Changemakerventures, plural, changemakerventures.com and go just submit your idea. It's free. I love to see ideas flow from your ecosystem. It'd be a change maker, yeah. change maker ventures, plural.com. We're going to have to have you come back, Jared. I'm going to tell you offline why when we wrap up here, but we'll have you back on. Um, we have some more things to discuss. Super amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing your passion, your inspiration with our audience. And I hope that people that have an idea, oh, I want to end with this. I just got to okay. say this because I talk about this all the time. You know, Jay Abraham said to us, it was just a couple months ago, was this amazing gold bar of wisdom that came out of Jay's mouth. Jay's been working with us for quite a long time, so he knows our clients, knows the people that we work with. And he said, Sean, probably one of the biggest oh, yeah. issues that your clients have is that they do not understand how to give up equity of something that they don't have. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, yeah. So if, if when you talk about giving up equity to someone like Jared and the team. Having a partnership. Sometimes yeah. people kind of get like, well, I don't want my, my idea. idea. I don't want to give up equity. <laughs> right. So you could give up, you could give up 90% equity to Jared. And you would still have 10% equity at the other side of right a now, finished thing. Right now you have You have 100% zero. of zero. And so anybody who is feeling that, like, I don't know. I don't know if I should do that. Look, even Jay just told us a couple of months ago, Sean, one of the biggest problems your clients have is that they have a big issue with giving up equity of something that they do not have. Like, <laughs> this is a brilliant idea, Jared. Thank you so much for joining us on the None of Your Business podcast. You absolutely killed it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys. You are world-class. Appreciate you for all that you do. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. 
We're going to be back again next week with a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you like, subscribe, tell us what you thought about this episode, and we'll see you next week.